You're listening to The Recovered Life Show, the show that helps people in recovery live their best recovered lives. And here is your host, Damon Frank. And welcome back to The Recovered Life Show. Damon Frank here for episode 108, Wednesday, May 8th, Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing great, Damon Frank. Now that we know what day it is for sure. Yep. Happy Wednesday to I everybody. Know, I a little flub there, and I, mm-hmm. I apologize about that. We're off of our regular routine for yes. uh, the Recovered Life Show. We skipped a day. We took a day off uh, because I requested it, actually. You have to know how to do that self-care, Christina. Yes, yes, important. It's so important. I respect that you expressed your need, and uh, and I really believe that we all are healing from perfectionism, so good for you. Well, not me, Christina. I already am perfect. Not. Uh, I'm definitely healing from perfectionism. You know that. Uh, So I'd like to welcome everybody to episode 108, Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. We've got a really great show in store for you. First, got to mention here, Christina, before you you jump in here uh, and let everybody know uh, about the Recovered Life show, um, I would like to say that we do have a lot of programming that has been added, even though we did skip a live show day. We've got tons of Recovered Life discussions. So guys, if you're listening to this live on YouTube, Facebook, or Twitter, or any place that we have it live or the replay, please jump in to uh, the podcast because, man, I got to tell you, tons of great content there. So good. Not going to get that conversation anywhere else. But before we do start the show, I want to let everybody know that it's being brought to you by Recovered Life contributors and people like you. Please follow, share, like, and leave us a comment so we can keep bringing these really good discussions to you. Also, you can visit info.recoveredlife.us where you can leave a donation that helps us to continue and help others and join the network, which is completely free. That's info.recoveredlife.us. Guys, I'd like to thank so much for everybody who has contributed to the Recovered Life show. Um, Look, it's so great because we can dump the money right back in to helping people that are in recovery. And this is all about, like you said, helping people live their best recovered life. Uh, Christina, amazing show that we've got. Two jam-packed segments here uh, about what people are actually talking about in recovery. So uh, the first one I wanted to kind of introduce a little bit because we had a whole conversation on our recovered life discussions and people were bringing up the issue that they were having with relapse dreams. Yes. And there were so many questions about what are relapse dreams? What are they all about? Am I in trouble if I have a relapse dream? So I thought this would be a great segment to kind of dive into this because relapse dreams happen. Almost everybody that I know that is a recovered alcoholic or has been recovering from drug abuse has had a relapse dream. I I mean, I would say a large majority of people that I know have had them. I agree. I don't think I've ever met somebody that when you share, oh, I had a relapse dream, I dreamt that I relapsed, they don't say me too, me too. It is part of the deal um, for sure. And one of the things that was brought up in that discussion, which I think is important to share about, was this idea that it can shake the, the ground that you are on about whether or not you're doing the right thing in your sobriety. Like, why did it show up? What is it saying? 
what is happening? Why am I remembering this? I must not be doing a really good job in my sobriety if it's showing up. And I don't think that's true personally. For me, I think it's part of the deal. And that it is not necessarily an indication that your recovery program is in trouble. It is a good reminder though about how it feels. And uh, that can be something that shakes you to the core. Well, I want to talk about that because you you put it an important point is like a lot of people interpret a relapse dream is that there's something going on and that their sobriety is not great, right? Right. Now, mm -hmm. I have two thoughts about this because I am somebody who have ha who has had a lot of relapse dreams in different uh links of sobriety and I'm you know and I'm going to share one later uh, in the segment here that I had when I had almost 20 years of sobriety. So, mm -hmm. uh, so it happens, right? Is it always an indicator that you're doing things incorrectly? Um, I'd say no. Yeah, I, I'd say no, you know, feel like we always say, you know, and look, and I know that there's therapists that listen to the show and they're like going, Oh, don't say feelings aren't facts. Yes. Right. <laughs> because it's it, they they are facts sometimes sometimes feelings are facts and right. they are indicators of what's going on especially repetitive feelings right repetitive yes. feelings like if you're always feeling angry you're always feeling sad or you're always feeling confused that might be a sign actually that something's trying to emerge right as a coach yes. i'd say that all the time and you're if you're reliving stuff all the time that's something you want to look into relapse right. dreams are interesting though christina and i want to ask your opinion on this Go. Um, you know, relapse dreams, I do some, I do believe that sometimes it's a threshold. It's a gateway that you walk through that okay. you're leaving a certain type of life or ideas okay. behind and it's addictions way neurologically uh -huh. back into your life. I've, I've found that to be the case. Ooh, I, I have to think about that for a few minutes because that's really, that is really an interesting, um, opinion. I, I think that you are probably onto something there. You know, what I was told the first time I had it, a uh, relapse dream was that it was <clears throat> indicating to me that I was feeling out of control with something in my life. Mm. It was a warning sign to look back and, and try to see where I am maybe in unrest, you know, where I am not peaceful about an issue. And I think that that is true that when I've had a relapse dream, it has been more of a warning and, and a sign that says reinforce your sobriety. Um, you know, look at some of the things that you're doing and see what in your daily life needs to be addressed. But I don't well, when think we're talking has... about neuro patterns, though, though, mm -hmm. like let's dive into that real quick before we move okay. on. Neuro patterns. Let's talk about these neuro patterns because we talk about this a lot. Like when I first got sober, no one talked about neuro patterns in the yes. early 90s. Like no, no one did, right? But what was happening is when I got sober is that a lot of neuro patterns are being broken. Ideas so that I had entrenched about this. So that's what I want to really dive into you about. It's like, okay, these get broken early sobriety people have these dreams. They've got right. really horrible relapse dreams that seem very, very real. Oh, they're awful. I mean, I have to say they've been awful. My experience with relapse dreams <clears throat> has been uh, that I don't necessarily see myself drinking, but I see after the 
effort that I'm going through and the questioning about, well, who do I have to tell? What does that feel like? I don't want to stand up and be a newcomer again. Oh my God, you know, like this is awful. And do I tell my husband or do I keep it a secret? You know, I've known people that continued to drink in a 12 step group, took sobriety chips um, every year and didn't feel like they could discuss or say that they had relapsed. And there's a lot of pressure in long-term sobriety that that's already a given that you keep, you know, that it's easier for you. And I have to say the obsession has been lifted for many years at a time, but I have had relapse dream even in my 25th year. You know, we just celebrated my birthday on Friday. Thank you everyone for the well wishes and the thought, but it's not necessarily a given, you know, sobriety isn't a given. Yes. And so I, um, I would feel and have felt through that, that awful feeling that I had a secret. And it reminded me of what it felt like and feels like when you're in active addiction. Well, it's the terrible. stakes are high, right? Like, mm -hmm. so like you're talking about the stakes are high. Like I, I'm with you because I think a lot of people in early sobriety have, have dreams that they drank and it is relapse dreams because I think about like when you get in even 10 to 15 days, you get a week and yes. you start to realize it's like, I might be able to make a go of this, right? Like right. working with new people now, it's great because you start to relive it again. You're like, wow. Okay. They got seven days they might be able to get two weeks. They might be able to get 30 days, right? Right. And so as you get more invested in your recovery, um, I notice sometimes that these relapse dreams come up with people. Mm. Uh, and it is, and I think one of the ways that, you know, and I have been upset with relapse dreams before mm -hmm. because they've been so real. And I know a lot of people have just been shaken by them, like yes. literally traumatized. Like, and And I say, you know what? Look at it as a good thing because you're so upset about it because it's something of value to you. True. Like it's identifying that it's something of value. And I think in early recovery, a lot of people are just trying this on. Right. They're trying it on like a jacket. I know I did. Yep, I okay, did. Yeah, I'm going to try this for a week. I think these people are kooky. Why do they keep <laughs> laughing? This isn't a funny thing, right? Right. And there's so much going through your head that you're trying to process. I think it's normal that people have relapse dreams, especially in early recovery. Of course, of course. And I, I love that you said people are trying it on because that was absolutely my experience. And that's why when we coach people, you know, in our program and they're not 100% sure, you know, whether this deal is for them, I'm, I'm okay with that. It's more, I mean, it is a great experiment. And I feel like a lot of people catch recovery once they've been around it for a little while, they get the physical sobriety, which allows them to have access to their cognitive function. And they realize they can live without it, but it's still there. And so I'm all right with people who say, I'm not sure I'm an alcoholic. I remember when I first got sober, asking questions like, oh, you mean you're not going to toast on your wedding? You're not going to do this? It didn't mean that I was you know, going to go out and relapse. It meant that I couldn't conceptualize what it would feel like to not drink forever. And have having a few years under my belt allowed me to have, you know, information that it was possible. And then I got a little deeper. So I'm all right with people who maybe don't really feel inside that they're an alcoholic when they first start. 
Yeah. I'm going to double down on that, Christina. I actually think it's, I think it's a lost art okay. in sobriety. Most of the time, especially if I'm working with people, the first thing that I do is we really go over for a couple of days. Okay. Why do you think you're an alcoholic? Right. Good. Why do you think you're an alcoholic? Because I think that this is, this is glossed over and you know this and, and we, we've talked with people that are in recovery centers and I know you do interventions yes. Yes. and people just assume that people will come into a 12 step program or they'll get a coach or they'll go to a rehab and they already are convinced that they're an alcoholic. I find that that's not the case. And no. I'm also going to say too, I'm going to go out in the line and I don't want anybody listening to this to say that I'm telling you that you're not an alcoholic. So don't interpret what I'm going to say here in sure. that way. But I have worked with people at the very beginning and identified that they're not alcoholics. Really? They were going through a trauma that they had addiction issues, but they might not necessarily, there were other things going on with them. Yeah, I have, I have, and I'm going to be on. And I think there was much more emphasis, Christina, earlier on in the past, let's say, when working with alcoholics, especially new people coming in, is to really go over what is alcoholism? Yes. Why do you think you have it? Yes. Let's dig into this a little bit before we just call you an alcoholic right. and go down some sort of treatment plan. Right. Well, and if if you are one of those people, you know, perhaps, you know, I think I've shared this on this show many times. When I really examined my relationship with the questions of the outpatient treatment, I really did concede inside myself, wow, I do not have a healthy relationship with alcohol. I do not, you know, have some of the the power to be able to stop once I start. But I agree with you. There are people that have drank alcoholically that are not necessarily alcoholics. But any period of sobriety is an opportunity to grow, to connect to the feelings, to examine, and re um, just to even start dreaming about what a life. It gives you that opportunity. So in everybody... I think in this entire world benefits from a period of sobriety. Yes. And I think why I hesitated to say this is because what we know about alcoholism, and I think you have to be careful about having this conversation with people. So I'm, you know, look, I'm not, uh, I, I'm not a trained therapist and this is right. not what I do. Right. I'm not a therapist and either are you. So like, obviously every case is different, but I do believe, you know, that going over the fundamentals of alcoholism, at the very, very beginning. And this is where I also have noticed causes re relapse dreams. People mm. that kind of know, yes, deep down inside they're an alcoholic, but don't really want to say, hey, I'm an alcoholic. Right. Right. They Which is a dangerous thing way. too. We, mm -hmm. we know that if you don't identify as an alcoholic and you are an alcoholic, pretty much I would bet money on it that you're going to relapse within the first 90 days. Pretty True. much. If True. you can't get there, because that the honesty part of that, the, the honesty part of that is, is the key, I think, to walk through the door. But the reason why I say it's dangerous to sometimes ask that question, and you have to be around people that I think have very good sobriety and kind of know what they're doing with this, is that alcoholism will tell you that you don't have alcoholism. True. So you need somebody that can really be truthful with you to say, well, you know, man, you drink these last five times, you can't control it. Seems like alcoholism to me. What else True. do you think it could be? 
Well, right? and yeah, and it's it has to do with the entire world misunderstanding that term, you know, and and frankly, I feel like that, you know, the the focus on that, and you and I both came from twelve step groups where that was one of the foundations. I uh, and and if people can get sober without using that label and that feels better to them, okay. But I feel like there's some power in making that decision and realizing I can never drink again because I don't drink normally. That really helps take that off the table. Because when I first started drinking, I, I, I behaved alcoholically from the first yeah. day. I did. And it was actually so shaming to me. Um, the, you know, the way that I drank, I was embarrassed and I was humiliated because I wouldn't be able to stop. It always had to go to blackout or, you know, vomiting or whatever that I did. I had so much shame about it. So for me, it was a huge relief, but I don't want people to get hung up on that, that uh, label, you know, and, Absolutely. and I'm all right with people not, calling themselves an alcoholic it's saying that they choose to live a sober life. The more that we have discussions like this and we take the shame out of it, the easier it will be for people to well, access look, help. Christian, and this is why we were talking about relapse. This is why we're talking about whether people are alcoholics and whether they're not, because we know as coaches and also people that have long-term sobriety and have done the deal that when you walk through that door to make a decision, it's like, wow, I'm an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. I, I, I got to tell you when I deep down inside knew I was an alcoholic, but when I finally got to the point where I walked through that door, it was shocking to me. Right. And people that weren't alcoholics that knew me were like, you're shocked. <laughs> and I, but you know, this is the thing that only alcoholics can understand. I truly was shocked. Yes. Yes. I, I truly, I truly was. It was such an awakening to me. This is when I, I see a lot of the relapse dreams come up because now I'm realizing, you know, and I remember that's when my first relapse dreams started to happen. Really? Chemically, things are different. I don't have alcohol in my system anymore. You're detoxing, you're going through this. You know, then you start to walk through this door to say, man, I really might have a problem. Oh man, this is, this is something that if I go back, I'm going to be in trouble. Right. And then all of a sudden I have a stake in it psychologically. And then these are when the dreams start to come up. Yes, yes. I um I just love what you're sharing because that awakening um it's it's there's duality in it. There's the shock and then there's also the comfort of knowing that there is a place for us that other people drink like we drink and it isn't a moral issue. It doesn't make me a bad person. And I just yes. I have gotten a lot of relief and I have gotten a lot of comfort and developed really a family that allowed me, gave me enough time to start to learn about myself. And so for me, it's a true gift. And I want that gift for everyone. But I'm open enough to say that maybe alcohol isn't that way for you. Well, I have to. And this is why we're talking about these dreams, Christina. And I, I want to share a situation that I had. Please. And I, and I, I want to, I think I was 17, 18 years sober when this happened that I'd had something happen in my life that was not alcohol related. Mm -hmm. I was not as much on my game as I should have been okay. with my own personal program. Right. And I was vulnerable. We talk about this, like places where we're vulnerable yes. in times in our life in recovery. Right. And that is sometimes a combination of people, places, and things. It's sometimes us not necessarily preparing uh, ourselves for the world mm -hmm. to deal with mm -hmm. the world spiritually. Right? right. And what happened with me is there was this opening 
and I had a craving out of nowhere. And I, and I'm telling you like 10, 50, like not nothing. Boom. It hit me very, very hard. I had a relapse dream where I'd overslept on a Saturday. Christina, it was so bad. Uh Oh, I walked out and my family members came in and I'm looking under the couch and I'm upset and I'm like crying and I'm like, and they're like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I drank, I drank, I, where's the bottle? I'm trying to find the bottle. And they're like, you've been asleep the whole time. Like we've been, you know, up all morning. It was so real. And I got to tell you, we talk about trauma and I, I laugh off some millennial trauma, some trauma sometimes, which isn't a good thing. Christina, you know, I do. It's like, okay, like I, you didn't have my kind of latte at Starbucks I sure. had trauma. You know, I'm not talking about like, it seriously shook me down. Wow. It took me two to three days just to, to not be rattled by it. That's how, that's how bad it was. So I have total empathy. If you're listening to this, I get it. And that was at 17, 18 years. Yes. Um, where did that come from? You know, I, I asked, you know, I think for me, it was a sign actually at that time. It's like, Hey, you need to pay attention to certain things. But I think what it did, the, the lesson that I got to it after I stopped being rattled by it was sure. it's like, you know what? Sobriety is important to you. This has yes. massive value. And that's what I got out of it. I was like, you know what? I need to pay more attention because this is a shit. This is one of the things in my life that has the most amount of value to me. I think it has the most amount of value to me. I don't even get to play in the game if I partake in alcoholic beverages. I don't even get to to have the life that I want. I'm not able to do that. And I love that you shared about it because, yes, rattled is to our core has happened to me. And it has been an indication that I am a true alcoholic through and through. And uh, I need to address something that's going on. And there's been times where it's just shown up. And so I, I think that the most important thought or takeaway from this conversation is to say, talk about it, tell somebody, understand that that you're still safe and know that you're not alone because most people have relapse dreams. And if there's a lesson there, I would just add to this, Christina, if there is a lesson there, like there was for me, pay yes. more attention, mm-hmm. be more spiritually fit at that moment in my life. And I needed that a moment in my life. And what I needed at that point was more community. And then I went out and got that. I learned that lesson, right? I mm-hmm. took, I, I, I paid attention. And this is, this is the thing I think with recovery, it's like, I don't really curse if I have relapse dreams. I, I'm not going to say I have them all the time. I rarely have them. Okay. Mm -hmm. But when I do, I actually look at this as to say, okay, look, if I'm upset about this, if I'm rattled, it means that this is important and I need to pay attention to what's there. And if there is nothing there, I need to just move on. Yeah. And this is the thing that I want people to hear if they're listening to this. If you Googled this, right, or or on YouTube and you found this on YouTube and you're like, man, I'm having these, sometimes don't beat yourself up for them. Not at Um, all. Because I have. I've said Mm -hmm. I must be doing something wrong. That if right. I'm having these. Right. It's uh, dreams are, and then we could have a whole entire show about interpretation of dreams. And I know people who have grown into that science and started paying attention to it. But we, um, you know, the dream is is something that I believe our subconscious is bring, bringing forward to us to pay attention. And there's some of that stuff just needs to be dealt with. And like you said, move on. 
Well, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. Definitely in the comments, uh, please comment about your uh, relapse dream if you've had one, and you know what it meant to you. What did you learn? Was there a takeaway from it? We're you know we're going to do more content on this because it's something that everybody you know we were talking, Christina, because it is something that happens in early sobriety a lot. For so, sure. So you know we were both saying it's like wow, a lot of people, and then thinking back, I'm saying. Definitely. Like <laughs> it was a huge deal in my life, right? It was a huge deal. So I think the whole idea of community and just communicating with people that you've had these is going to really, really help. Huge, huge. We're not alone. You're not alone. Well, Christina, this has been an amazing segment. I need everybody to hold on because we've got even, a, we have an even a better segment coming up next with this article that you found that we're going to dive into. But I wanted to kind of just do a little quick shout out uh, to the Recovered Life community out there. If you're not a member, definitely go to info.recoveredlife.us, become a member. We're doing all kinds of cool stuff, Christina. Uh, you know, we've got all kinds of exclusive content, even free coaching that's yes. on this that we're giving and advice and things for people who are getting through milestones in their sobriety or trying to get into some sort of recovery plan, set up a recovery plan for their life. This is an amazing place to be. Also, you have access to people like Christina Dennis, people like myself, and there's a lot of free goodies on there. So definitely go to info.recoveredlife.us. You can connect with both of us uh, if, if you go to that site there and we can't wait to interact with you. We know that recovery is about community. And if you want to live your best recovered life, you have to have a great community. So we built one and we're inviting you to join. So go to info.recoveredlife.us. That's info.recoveredlife.us. Christina, after the break, after the quick little break here, we're going to dive into another great segment. So we need everybody to hold on. We'll be back in just a few seconds. You're listening to The Recovered Life Show. Welcome back. Thanks for staying. So glad to have you. Before we go into our second segment, which is about narcissism versus uh, complex PTSD, I want to remind you that this show, this segment is being brought to you by uh, Recovered Life contributors like myself and people like you. Please like, share, follow, leave us a comment. Keep us you know, going in the right direction. Also, uh, info.recoveredlife.us, which Damon just mentioned, is the place that you want to go to join the network. It's completely free, and you can leave a donation if you want to help us to continue to help others. I am so glad that we're going to be talking about this, Damon. Are you interested? I am. I am. <laughs> I, you know, this was when, when you sent me this, you were talking about, you know, this, this, uh, this segment here is about narcissism which is, I think, the Instagram word of the week. It which is. I always say it's like, it's like everybody now is a narcissist. Yes. If the person at the deli doesn't give you the right turkey slice, they're a narcissist, right? And I think yes. we've overused this term so much, Christina, that people are confused about it. And I know in recovery, you know, look, a lot of people, we talk about this, a lot of people in a recovery and recovery isn't their only thing that's going on. They might have a personality disorder. 
uh, mm-hmm. bipolar disorder. They might have anxiety disorder, depression. There's other things that are going on. And, you know, and I think one of the great things about recovery today, if you're getting sober in 2022 or you're sober in 2022, I should say, um, is that people are much more accepting. And I think people are understanding that there's a lot going on with people and addiction is one piece of the puzzle, right? right. It's one piece for you to live your best life. It's not the only piece sometimes. And narcissism comes up all the time. So we wanted to kind of dive into this because you're big in the family unit. That's what you do. You talk about the family unit. And typically if there is chaos in the family unit, there's probably a narcissist, narcissist roaming around, right? True, true. And this article from the Mayo Clinic really explains narcissism as a personality disorder. And I love that you said that it gets thrown around a lot because it does. And narcissist personality disorder is rare. And so only about 1% of uh, the population would actually receive this diagnosis. But if you suspect it, I want you to read the article because it really gives us a good idea of what the behaviors are that a true narcissist would. Now, one of the things that I wanted to talk about is um, is how alcoholism can be masked as a narcissist. You know, when I start working with people, we'll talk about what a narcissist is, if they're in a codependent relationship with a narcissist. And sometimes their behaviors, our behaviors as addicts, help us to present as if we're narcissistic. And I think that the world that isn't um, dealing with alcoholism, let's say a loved one or a partner, can easily look at these and say, well, that person is a narcissist. I am married to an alcoholic narcissist. And sometimes, not sometimes, more often, 99 out of 100, it's not narcissism. It's not a true narcissistic personality disorder. It's actually complex PTSD. And so I don't believe that we uh, are, you know, explaining, how do I say this? I don't believe that we should jump to the conclusion that the alcoholic is a narcissist. And I don't believe that we should jump to the conclusion that we're in a relationship with a narcissist. In my 25 years, I've only coached two people who were married to true true narcissists. Um, and so most of the time it's complex PTSD that's presenting itself as a narcissism. Yeah. Narcissism. And I, you know, and I want to put this out, Christine and I are not doctors and we're not diagnosing no. anyone in your life, right. That, that might be narcissistic, but mm-hmm. I, you know, we have seen this a lot, right. And there are narcissistic traits and you bring up uh, complex PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, stress syndrome or disorder. Um, one of the things that's interesting about this is that uh, we know that PTSD has patterns, right? Yes. We know when we're, we talk about <clears throat> this in the neuro room all the time, Christina, that it there's patterns to it. So many times what will come across as narcissism is actually just a protection pattern. It sure is. It sure is. Even even um, some of the latest research has shown us um, in the neuro room, we discussed it, that um, shaming a narcissist isn't going to actually help them get better. And I think that we attach that. Actually, you need to keep a narcissist accountable to learn how to be empathetic. And that looks like setting healthy boundaries and being, you know, willing to remain in somebody's life. Now, I am the first person that says you got to get out of the way and take care of yourself. 
But I also know that true narcissists, and, and the article goes on to explain that, that they think there are three components. It is a relationship with childhood caregiver, um, in other words, not getting your needs met or not getting them addressed, that there may be biology attached to it, and that it can um, be part of your actual DNA. But they don't have that necessarily yeah. set. I think there will be a day, one day, where we're sitting down and, you know, five years from now, 10 years from now, that we can see this person will lean toward narcissism. I've seen it in my own son's genetic makeup with autism. So I think we're yeah. getting closer. But uh, narcissism can be, you know, narcissistic like tendencies can be a self-protective mode for people. And for me as an alcoholic, an active alcoholic, I think I presented very much like a narcissist. Well, I think, I think that the thing is, is that we, we know, and I, just so, just so everybody knows that is listening on the podcast here, uh, we brought up on the screen here for the live show. We're going to put a link in the podcast to the Mayo Clinic article that Christina is referring to. And we're going to kind of go over some aspects of this, but I, I want to throw in this. We know that there is an obsession of self. Yes. And obsession of self thinking with alcoholism, Christina, we, we know this, like, yeah. You know, we, we've known this since what the 20s and 30s. I mean, the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous has a whole area on that, just the obsession of self. So right. the obsession of self looks like looks like narcissism yes. in a lot of ways. But when you start to unpack that, it doesn't play out like that. True. Uh, as there's there, there's healing there. And I think also, too, it's misunderstood. And, you know, look, and I'm not going to say that I've never met a narcissistic person. I mm -hmm. have, and I've been, mm -hmm. you know, look, if you've ever truly been around a narcissist, they are crazy makers, right? Sure. They're absolutely crazy. And if you're in that family system with them or friend system with them, or they have any kind of hierarchy system that yes. they're involved in, absolutely craziness, right? Right. Um, but this is not the same thing as self-obsession, alcoholic self-obsession. It's sure. different, right? And it presents differently. I think it presents the same a lot of the times at first because there's such craziness around alcoholics and drug addicts protecting their addiction. Yes. Right? Yes. So you see the chaos in that, but that's not really narcissistic personality disorder. No, it is not. And that's one of the things that I want people to think about as they read the article and start believing or looking at and taking inventory on their relationships. Um, true, true narcissism. We're not sure, I think, how to really explain that. Um, there's a lot of evidence. There's a lot of research going on around this, but alcoholism is different. Complex PTSD is different. And it, and it kind of points to the source of where the personality started going wrong, where they became self-obsessed. Um, when we drink alcoholism, those of us who have a substance abuse disorder, we become completely different people. I mean, it's Dr. Yeah. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, right? That's described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And with a true narcissist, they are that person through and through. And the brutality of being in a relationship with a narcissist is very bad to be around. And so if you were raised by a true narcissist, 
you are going to have codependency tendencies. You're going to use alcohol as a way to cope. You're going to do anything to try to protect your nervous system. Have you ever been, Damon, around somebody and had the worst feeling come over you and then, you know, try to understand why? I know as a codependent, I, I ignored those messages. So I'm curious yeah. from a male standpoint. No, and I think I think one of the things too is, and I think one of the things that people need to be aware of, especially mm -hmm. if they're in a 12-step group or if they're in a group dynamic, could be group therapy, it could be anything where there's peer-to-peer -peer support, right? Yes. That you have to be careful, I think, a lot of the times of narcissists. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I know a lot of the times that uh, men are pegged as narcissists, right? Mm -hmm. And I think women sometimes are pegged as borderlines, which okay. is very, you know, if you if you read, it's very similar in the mm -hmm. case, right? So, and and I've found that not to be the case. I, I found that there's people that's a scale, I think, right? Right. Um, of, of narcissism, but they're always in a group dynamic. There will somebody that will have a narcissistic thing. And, you know, reading this Mayo Clinic article, have an exaggerated sense of self-importance, Right. right is one of them having a sense of entitlement and require constant excessive admiration right expect to be recognized as superior even without achievements that warrant it right everybody has come across somebody but the, usually typically these people the really i'm going to say the mega narcissists they really gravitate towards people in recovery Mm -hmm. And this is my own personal opinion. And also me having, you know, discussions with therapists about this, asking them what they think about this idea is that narcissistics, uh, people that are true narcissists seek out codependent people. Of course. It's, and this is, this is where, this is where uh, the group dynamic, I think becomes very complicated in recovery. If you have a narcissist present. Because right. they're there to be a predator mm -hmm. many times to people who are wounded and have issues. Maybe they had a parent that's an alcoholic and they have a codependent streak. You see this a lot. The narcissistic person will come in and they'll start wreaking havoc. Yes, yes. And, you know, what I was going to say is that there have been times in the past where I got into a relationship with a narcissist or a narcissist-like person where I had the feeling, my nervous system knew that you know something was not right, but I squashed it. And that's my codependency. I abandoned myself in order to be in relationship with somebody else. And because I'm willing to address that in recovery and keep pushing forward, a lot of times I had to disconnect completely. They call it detachment in, you know, our favorite Al-Anon group or with codependency recovery, we call it detachment. Sometimes you've got to get the hell away and protect yourself. Yeah. Sometimes you can disconnect from the narcissist, although they do not like it and they will up the ante and protect yourself without making such a drastic change. But if we're not aware that these type of people are out there, um, or we believe that we deserve, like, this is what true love is. You know, they yeah. care about me. That's the they thing, care right? enough about me to criticize me. You know, it, it, the other thing is, is there's no explanation and, in, in, you know, the, why they chose you other than that they can exploit you.
And that's so hard to understand, you know, for a codependent. And well, I, I think maybe it is. I think I'm going to jump in here. I think that maybe alcoholics are in a unique position to understand this. Because, you know, the narcissist, you know, the difference I've seen between people who have PTSD or triggers, right, mm -hmm. or neuro patterns, that that's how they react out is rage. Narcissisms have this rage, mm -hmm. right? That's this uncontrollable rage. That's usually a sign that they're narcissists if they're not getting what they want. But I think one of the common things that we know about narcissism is they're fueled Mm -hmm. by these interactions, these narcissistic interactions, just as if codependents are fueled by trying to save people, just as alcoholics are fueled by alcohol, right? Yes. So yes. we do kind of like, and this is where I think, this is where I think alcohol, this is why I think they've said for years, don't date people that you go to rehab with. Don't date people right. your first year in recovery, right? Because that we, you know, and I've seen this in 12, big 12 step groups that I've been a part of that I've been in kind of quote, a leadership position in sure. uh, where we're, you know, it's a large group, especially narcissistic men coming in and literally being predators, finding people who are weak are they're down or they've been hit down, right? They're trying to recover. They're trying to get it and pour it on and then have absolute rage. If the person doesn't respond. So true. And having to intervene with those people, like with groups of guys having to intervene to say, like, you can't you can't hang out here like you right. can't. You need to go find another place because it's dangerous. Right. Because they'll suck everything into the path. Right. And um, I don't know what the solution is for that, uh, for people who are look, you, you've said it, Christina, you've never met an alcoholic that that's not a codependent. Right. So true. we're very we're very primed to enter the path of a narcissist. Absolutely. And, and it really, I, I, I love having this conversation because I want people to not self-diagnose as a narcissist. I want them to talk about it and to talk about, you know, feeling like, wow, somebody really is out there to victimize me. It doesn't mean that you have a victim mentality if somebody victimizes you and you say, ouch. You know, it doesn't mean that you invited that person into your life. And as codependents, we will often take 100% responsibility for the entire interaction, not recognizing that we may be in relationship with a true narcissist or a predator. And so it's yeah. so important to have this kind of conversation. We are not 100% responsible for other people's actions and what they do. And talking about it and having, you know, the rules about, you don't date a newcomer. You let that person grow into somebody that can be part of a relationship with you. It's really important. Well, look, let, let, let's be really blunt about this, Christina. In reality, I would say a lot of the people, especially in coaching, I mean, you, you and I, you know, do coaching together. And yes. we know the people that have totally blown up lives. Yes. They seeked out the narcissist. They looked for them. They were attracted to that if they were yes. codependent. There's a there's a level of which it's like, I'm going to come in and I'm going to fix that. Or, or this is what I deserve. 
I deserve yes. to be treated this way. And it's a very, very strange dynamic. And I think as you get, and you might disagree with this, Christina, because I know we don't always agree on every, you know, on all these mm -hmm. points, but I think you see it over and over and over again. You start to realize there's some sort of magnetism between mm -hmm. people that are very codependent and also in recovery themselves that come from an alcoholic family unit. It's like out of a crowd, they will pick the one narcissist. On purpose, not necessarily consciously, not necessarily not consciously, consciously. Yes, not consciously. But, you know, and that comes from childhood wounding. If you were raised by a narcissistic person and you were told that these behaviors meant that that person loved you, you will believe that when you are young. You will believe that because this person is taking care of you and you have no choice. But if we don't pull out those belief systems and, and examine them and start working on our confidence, our self-care and our self-worth, we will continue to, to find somebody who emulates the relationship that we had with our primary caregiver and try to change them because that means I have value. I don't want love from somebody who's actually willing to offer it. I want love from the person in the corner who isn't willing to offer it. And then, then I will be so great and magnificent and I will convince this person to love me wholeheartedly. And that will mean my parents were wrong and nothing is wrong with me. And it is. Or I would even say can't offer it. It's not even yes. that they're not willing. They, they, they can't offer it. And you see this with PTSD too. It's like, People that have trauma or whatever around certain things, they will attract other people into their lives that yes. it's the worst possible scenario for them, right? So look, and you and I, we, we've all done this too. I've like, done we're it. We're not like, we've all done this. So it's like, we've been down this road and we know what this is like and working with other people. That's why I so much love this show, Christina, is because that you and I are able to kind of talk about behind the scenes. We're able to really get real about this right. and then also talk with our guests about really how are you going to live your best recovered life? You know, yes. in this, if you're hanging around narcissists and you're hanging around people that have massive PTSD, right? And you're trying to get them to give you something that they're unwilling or unable to give you emotionally, you are in, you're setting yourself up for failure. Sure are. Sure are. And, um, and finding out that, that as adults, we are a hundred percent responsible for loving ourselves and not leaving that job up to somebody else can feel really, really lonely. But as I say to people, once you start giving yourself that love that you are seeking from somebody else, and making somebody else responsible, you will have the self-security that you're looking for in other people. And you, you absolutely win. will. You will. You will. You will. And you'll win. And the narcissistic people will not have the effect on you that they want. You'll be able to identify it. That's not for me. Yep. That's not for me. Right. And move on. Christina, this has been a amazing episode. Episode number 108, Wednesday, May 11th, 2022. Before we leave, I just want to mention, guys, head over to recoveredlife.us. A lot of great changes there. We, we've got some amazing stuff, Christina, going on in sure the Recovered Life community. And we, Christina and I, in the next couple episodes, are going to have a big announcement for people that listen to the show that really want to take the recovery to the next level. We're working on something right now that I think you're going to love. So hang tight, go to recoveredlife.us, start living your best recovered life. Join a community of like-minded people.
do it now. Recoveredlife.us. That's recoveredlife.us. Episode 108, Christina in the can. All right. Everybody have a beautiful day. Keep the conversation going. Join Recovered Life, a community of like-minded people who are looking to live their best recovered lives. Membership is free and you can apply at recoveredlife.us.